My name is Reese Ryan, and you are listening to the VIP Lounge Podcast. Visit ReeseRyanBrand.com for tickets, VIP packages, and more. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, I hope you're all doing awesome uh, as well, as far as you can be in the current situation. But it looks like we're getting to a point where... You know, we're we're coming and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, so just uh just keep at it. I think everyone generally is feeling a little bit more positive, which is fantastic. Um this is my fourth uh podcast now. I'm really starting to get into the swing of things with this. I've got brand new equipment that's getting delivered to me. So the quality of these podcasts is really gonna skyrocket from here on out. So I'm so excited to bring you guys more great content. Got some awesome, awesome, awesome guests lined up for the future, as well as my current guest here today. Uh, some of those that I'm going to have going on in the future is I've got Stevie Knight and Richard Young from the um, Seconds Away It's Nighttime podcast. They're going to come on here uh, and have a little chat about what they're getting up to. We can talk to Stevie about his time on the uh, the British camp circuit uh, and kind of his time there. I feel like he'll be the most kind of old school guest that we'll have on here, um, you know, with this being kind of a, a new school wrestling podcast. But the thing is, just because I'm speaking to wrestlers on here that are kind of more kind of up and coming now and, you know, classed as new school, I, I'm not really 100% sold on that word because I think so much of wrestling is, is to do with, like, the people that have paved the way and, like, it's so important to really give those people that respect and I think what Stevie has has done uh in his in his career is just fantastic and, and kind of the uh the blood sweat and tears that he put in as well as, as as a lot of you know old school British guys I've been recently going through a lot of kind of world of sport old footage like Rollable Rocco Marty Jones Johnny Saint really trying to kind of uh get myself a little bit more clued up with that kind of thing so um, that's a really good journey. Finally got to the end of the NWA power as well. I think that's kind of what inspired me to start looking at this older stuff because, um, I think with, you know, when you're a bit younger, you can get a little bit alienated by it because of the bad quality of the footage or, or anything like that. Or, or maybe you just get this like ego, you know, and it's like, Hey, new wrestling is where it's at. But, but you know what? I really, really enjoy it. I think that like the craft that goes into it, the stories, there's just a lot to be taken from it. Um, and I think the, the really good quality new school wrestling is actually the things that are a little bit more old school um, because it's now coming back and it's more of a, more of a niche. So um, I'm really excited to see where that journey is going to take me. Um, you know, coming to the end of the lockdown, there's been a lot of things going on. Uh, I'm now on a brand new fitness journey with uh, with Nush Fitness. Uh, if you guys have been listening to the podcast, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, it's been great, you know, having this kind of following that's been coming on with the podcasts. It's had a much better reception than what I expected. But my first guest was Big Guns Joe, and he spoke about how he has been with Nush uh, working on his body. So uh, I kind of hearing how dope that was, I, I've got myself signed up. So um Hell, when wrestling's back, early 2021, um, hopefully I'll be jacked to hell, <laughs> and you guys won't recognize me, so, uh, so that'll be really cool. Without further ado, I've got an awesome guest today, it's my first promoter 
on here. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of chat about that side of the business. He's uh, Phil Woodbine. He's been a promoter with pro wrestling for you since 2011. Uh, so it's in the kind of the north of England. He's um, He's been doing stuff like that. Family-friendly entertainment. He really knows his audience so well. Um, I really respect his brand and just how he really sticks to his guns and know what he's know knows exactly what he's promoting. We're going to talk about his highs, his lows, uh, kind of the, the lessons that he learned, any kind of uh, advice that he'd give to people. I think it's a really good little masterclass on wrestling psychology and just how when you're kind of a little bit lower down on this independent scene, how it's still so tough to like get those asses in seats and uh, he's going to explain it so much better than I could. So without further ado, uh, thank you so much to for everyone for listening to the VIP Lounge episode number four. You can check us out on Spotify, all of our other three episodes with Big Guns Joe, Ricky Nat Jr. and uh, Kid Like Us too. And here he is, episode four, Phil Woodbine, everybody. Hey man, how's it going? <laughs> oh dude i'm like you proper like built me up and stuff now it's i'm feeling i feel like i'm blushing or something oh honestly it's it's a big deal being on the vip podcast with reese ryan so you've got to uh you you've got to keep it up for the uh for the listeners out there guy you know what i mean so uh, uh you are too come on the first promoter you've had on the show i think i am aren't I? <laughs> yeah man yeah so i had uh i had um big guns joe Ricky Knight Jr. and Kid Like Us too. So yeah, you're the first promoter on the show. So uh, oh, ex- fancy! I've, I've popped your promoter cherry. I'm I'm very cherry. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, well, yeah, you could say that. Um, so for those of you who don't know uh, at home, Phil Woodbine is the promoter for Pro Wrestling for You. Where whereabouts are you based, Phil? Uh, we're based in Stoke on Trent and Newcastle under Lyme. Now I always say Stoke on Trent. Because if you say Newcastle, people think you mean the other Newcastle, the one that's up north with Geordie's and Anton Deck and all that malarkey. So, yeah, the, the one that's down near Stoke-on-Trent in the Midlands. Wait, so there's two Newcastles? Yeah, Newcastle up on Tyne and Newcastle under Lyme. We're the under Lyme. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, it just keeps you just prove it. You just prove <laughs> my points, exactly. Yeah, so we <laughs> Stoke-on-Trent, that's fair enough. And you've been running it since uh, 2011. Yeah, we started as, a, as, as an over-18s promotion. We did two shows. And what we thought was going to happen in Stoke really didn't happen. And that's when we had to kind of change tack. We uh, moved to working men's clubs and went to uh, more PG shows and never looked back since. So tell me what you kind of expected and, and what actually happened. Well, um, I was working as a as a manager um, for various other promotions in Stoke, and uh, my good friend and co-owner, uh, Miss Kim Rocks, she pitched me an idea to do an over eighteen show, and I had this is going to sound really this it's going to sound a bit big headed, but I don't mean it to be. I got a really good job at the time, and I was earning more money than I knew what to do with because I live quite simply anyway. I don't drive. I don't you know, spend that much on booze. I don't smoke. So I had quite a bit of money. I was like, okay, cool. We're going to do a big venue. We're going to start a new promotion and we're going to open up with a big venue. So we went to um, Kill Uni, which is a big uh, uni in the area. Got their massive um, union hall, which is a really big venue. Um, and we thought we'd fill it with drunk students and we'd get 
thousands of people because we've been speaking to management. Management said they had 2,000 people there a um, few weeks prior for S Club free. So not even all of them, just S Club free. <laughs> 2,000 people showed up. So we, we were kind of in the mindset of this is going to be uh, this be a piece of this. We're going to be able to draw 2,000 people, get them, get them in, get them interacting. And... Yeah, the bigger reality of it was. We had a good turnout. It's about 250, 300 people. Um, obviously, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's good com- compared to some shows, but compared to what we are estimating, it's a big, cold, hard slap in the face, especially when we spent a lot of money getting cars from Scotland down here. Like, we had Fight Club, we had uh, Lion Art, God rest him, uh, Red Lightning, Jack Jester, BT Gun. You know, these aren't cheap cars to put together but we we assumed we were going to draw thousands so we didn't care we literally chucked balls to the wall and put my bank account on its ass <laughs> well uh what, as you say with it being your uh your money i imagine that you uh that it was a big sting do you, do you remember to this day like how big the loss was um i do i mean i, I could tell you if you want to know uh go for it if, if you're if that's okay with you i i'm completely fine with this so venue costs wrestling costs insurance uh security blah 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 blah. it probably comes in about three and a half grand oh my gosh <laughs> no i i could i'm really surprised that you didn't just give up the promoter game right there and then <laughs> Well, mate, I'm not, not going to lie to you. It was it was on the cards. We did that show. We we didn't lose. A, we we lost money, but it was money that I had kind of surplus anyway. So it wasn't like it was rent money or food money that right. was going. Uh, it was just uh-huh. sat there in my bank doing nothing. And so that was my first show that I was co-promoting. Um, and obviously, kind of after that one, we didn't want to do kill uni anymore so we moved to a nightclub up in stoke which is going to be a lot cheaper uh-huh. drew 50 to 60 people <sighs> took, took another big sting not as big a sting on that one but a sting enough we'll say so we're kind of looking back at it do you think that like it was a lot of that was just down to like naivety like not knowing your audience and things yeah i think so i mean there are fans in Stoke that do want a bit more of a hardcore product, but they're not here in their droves. Stoke isn't a big enough city like a, a Manchester, a Liverpool, uh, London, Grimsby as well. You, know, it's we're a very old-fashioned kind of city. Uh-huh. If, you've, if you've ever gone to Stoke Station, you pull in and it looks like it's from like the sort of eighteen hundreds. <laughs> there's no Starbucks. There's nothing that you would expect in, in a twenty twenty train station it looks like it is from the 1800s and that's kind of what stoke's about we're all um you know all sons and grandsons and great grandsons of coal miners you know we're very old-fashioned so stoke really just didn't give a crap for an over 18s promotion they want fun they want characters they want banter then wrestling you know fourth on that list so for the people that do want a hardcore product we just we we couldn't have done more. We had the the name, yeah, all the names. We had really great venues. We had drinks promotions on, um, and it just didn't draw people in. So, well, yeah. I guess like we um, kind of, 
I guess that's a lesson to any promoter, I suppose. Like, don't don't go into it just wanting to put it on the wrestling that you want to watch or you want to you want to do specifically. Like, you need to you need to really kind of do some market research, I guess. Well, exactly. I mean, that that was the thing. I mean, I assumed I knew what the fans would want because that's what I would want to see at that point, and uh-huh. fans just really do not want to see. So you can have all the talent in the world, but if there's you're just promoting the wrong product to the wrong people. It's just never going to work. It doesn't matter what you put behind it, whether it's money, resources, time, effort, energy, blood, sweat, tears, whatever. But hey, like, you know, you, you've obviously turned it around because now we're here in 2020. Your, your, your company that started in 2011 is still here. You're still, obviously, before uh, COVID-19, you were pr- uh, promoting like quite shows quite often i'd always see them popping up um i've worked for a couple of them they're, re- they're really fun to do uh so tell me kind of the the process of uh, of going from that having those two big losses and then being like right so because any other guy i feel would just be like well <laughs> obviously promoting isn't my jam uh but not <laughs> you. <laughs> you you stuck at it like uh you know like you were just there all the time so tell tell me how that process happened. Well, I'm, I'm quite stubborn. Uh, <laughs> you, might, you, you might have noticed, you might have picked up on that. I'm quite sort of headstrong and all this sort of thing. So the, the show at Keel was 99% promoted by Miss Kim Rocks. I didn't know anything about promotion. I was just there to tether the wrestling side of things and put a bit of creative in. So that was kind of Kim's show. And quite uh, a lot of money by the sounds of it as well. Yeah, but like Kim showed what funded by me. And obviously I gave the go-ahead and I was fine with whatever we were spending. The show at the nightclub was kind of 50-50, uh, half Kim, half me. She was going through some sort of personal problems with uh, the person she was living with. And so she kind of wanted out of the business mm-hmm. like a, a week before that show. So obviously it was quite... Um, I don't want to say it wasn't necessarily sensitive, but it was a difficult time for both of us because she wanted out. I couldn't stand on my own two feet at that point yet. Um, so it was difficult. We just got through it and whatever. We sat in the pub having a drink a couple of weeks after, and we just saying, look, it's obviously not working. And at this point, it was about like a make or break thing for, okay, I was never meant to be the promoter. That was always Kim's job, but I've got a taste for it now. And I've got to kind of put my money where my mouth is. So I realized if this is going to be any kind of success, I need to take it to a place that I can manage. And the only place I can manage it was our main home of Silverdale. Now, the venue of the show that you did for us a couple of summers ago, that's just up the road from our main venue. But Silverdale is uh, where I grew up. I spent my first 25 years. I know nearly all the shop owners because they're either my aunties, my uncles, friends, relatives, whatever, whatever, whatever. I know every street, every back alley, every pub, every, literally the, the, the Silverdale uh, village, it's self-contained, one road in, one road out. And when you know the people there, that's when you kind of go, okay, this is what we're going to do. So we moved it to the Working Men's Club. Um, I knew the owners and we had a really good deal with them. So, okay, we're going to do a fun show. It's going to be PG. Uh, moved it there, put myself on the card because I'm, I'm one of those people. But 
I'd put myself managing a guy in the match as a loser wears a dress match. Because we mm-hmm. knew that just by promoting that, that would be, oh, what if Phil's going to end up in a dress? He's going to look dead stupid. I kind of want to see him go there and laugh at him. Obviously, that kind of match I wouldn't do anymore because it's a very different world. Mm-hmm. But 2012, so early 2012, we just... Yeah, we chucked it there. We got about 150 people. We sold a lot of merch here. There's lots of kids wanting to buy sweets and masks and foam fingers and all this sort of stuff. And we'd had next to none of the stress. We'd spent a fraction of that uh, that first show cost. Um, and we'd actually had fun. And how, you know, it's like, um, I think it's not just in, in your kind of small little town. I think that that business model is so successful for, uh, for companies in the, in the UK. I, I'd say like probably the most successful ones like are all kind of touring uh, family friendly shows, uh, you know, like Mega Slam, All Star. Uh, and and that that's nothing at all to scoff at at all. I, I think it's just it's it's like they always say, don't they? Like wrestling is uh, is imagine music. You've got so many different genres, uh, and it's the same with wrestling. So th- when you kind of went into this, obviously you've already said that you wanted to do adult shows because that's what you like to watch and things like that. D- was there any part of you that was kind of scoffing at the fact that you'd gone into that? Obviously, it's not founded. It's great what you've what you're doing, but at that time when you were still at that kind of naive kind of starting stage of the promotion, was there any kind of doubts in your mind, like oh, I don't really want to do this? Yeah, I think sort of very very early doors, we were still were in the mindset because we wanted to name the PG shows. I think it was limited edition pro wrestling. We were going to split the the company into two, so um, pro wrestling for you was going to be the over eighteen shows. And limited edition pro wrestling was going to be the um, family shows. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was my mindset of, oh, but I still want to do them. I still want to do them. I still reckon we can do it. It's more a confidence issue with myself. That's why people haven't showed up. Rather than mm-hmm. admitting the fact that Stoke just isn't an over-18s kind of... They don't want that from, from a promotion. So I'm still, I'm still holding on to it. But by the end of the first year... Uh, the start of 2013, I kind of knew. I was like, you know what? I love this so much more that even if it's not necessarily what I'd watch, I've loved um, sort of comedy wrestling and banter wrestling above hardcore wrestling. So once I'd kind of started putting them on that on shows, that's where I was like, you know what? I really don't miss over 18 shows anymore because I'm getting the crowd are loving what I love as well. My absolute uh-huh. favorite kind of my style of wrestling. Um, so by that point, early 2013, I couldn't have looked back at an over 18 show for what I want to do one, and I still don't. Well, the um, the not only that as well. Like you say about um, your your fans and things about how that's what they want. They're they're looking for that kind of banter and things like that. Do you think that um, do you think that those kind of fans? Do you think that that you're your, your fans that come and watch pro wrestling for you. Do you think that they go home and watch wrestling, or do you think that they're not so much worldwide wrestling fans? They just really like to ha- go out, have a drink, and watch your kind of product. Do you think that they're specific to you, or do you think they're overall wrestling fans? Um, there's definitely some wrestling fans in the crowd. There's no two ways about it. I mean, I don't, 
no matter how, say, a cricket show was promoted, I just wouldn't ever connect with crickets. You know what I mean? You've got to have at least a passing interest uh-huh. uh, in the subject matter. But uh, my friend Alex, that comes to most of my shows, he said um, he's just one of the most poignant comments. And he didn't say it to be philosophical or anything like that. He just said it's off the cuff. And it's something that means the absolute world to me. He says, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I am a pro wrestling for you fan. Yeah. And I kind of thought, and I didn't want to press him because like, at the time I wasn't thinking and I, didn't, I needed it to sink in. And we kind of offer things that you don't get at other promotions. We, mm-hmm. we tailor and we tweak so many different variables that if people... Because there's three or four promotions in Stoke at any, at any one time. Um, there's one that advertises itself as the cheapest, which I think is a horrible tagline to put to any product. <laughs> it is. You, you don't want to, you know, if, if you go to buy a steak and the steak says, this is the cheapest steak you can buy. You go, yeah, well, is it, is it grey? Is it horse? Gristle? Well, like... <laughs> yeah. Cheap yeah. isn't a good like, adjective for whatever the term is to put to your product. But we're, we're quite competitive in terms of cost. I mean, it's six quid um, a ticket, which isn't going to break the bank. But That's it's crazy. Not, but it's yeah, not it's... three quid, four quid, like some other promotions are charging to just you know, to, just to get people in through the doors. Uh-huh. Um, so we've we've got the competitive price nature of other promotions, but we'll take talent and we'll kind of turn them on their heads a little bit for our promotion which they can't see anywhere else. So um, Noah was probably the best example. He was a heel everywhere. He comes out really sinister. He's got this bear that's half burnt. There's a kind of ring or grudge, like a Japanese horror movie slant to Noah's character. And our crowd just loved him. They just couldn't have booed him if they had tried. He came out on the first show. We didn't know how they were going to react. We didn't push him in any direction. And the crowd just started liking him because he kind of, there's a bit of an almost Eugene-esque side to him, like a playful, older, um, playful sort of adult, not necessarily simple, but simplified. Yeah. And the crowd just absolutely loved him and they couldn't get nowhere a face anywhere else. That's just not something that they could see anywhere else. Our raffle, now this is like a really strange one for me to admit, I was never ever sold on a raffle. I just think it's like a school summer fate from 1992. Like, it's old, it's done. Like I hate the word raffle. Could you picture Tom Bowlers and Coconut Shies? And, uh, not for me. <laughs> got, got talked into it by, I think it was Kim Rock, so I have to give Kim a lot of credit. She says, just do it and look how much money you made. It's like, fine, okay, whatever. Run me a raffle. Um, so we had like three goodie bags and tickets to the next show was like a star prize. And we made about 150 quid on a raffle. It's crazy. Which is, well, that's crazy money. Um, people coming up and buying like sort of five quids worth here and 10 quids worth there. And I kind of had to eat my own words. Now, where we've changed it up, we had the three goodie bags and obviously the one VIP prize, VIP, little a uh, little wink to you. Uh, <laughs> we'd actually changed the VIP prize for a booby prize because we kind of had this idea um, and people just ran away with it. So we've got the free goodie bags still and this one booby prize. Now, in the past, it's been a, I think on the show that you were at for us, middle of summer, red hot venue, and it was a, a CD of Christmas songs in the middle of July. 
Uh, we've done duck shower caps. We've done inflatable poo. Um, and they're always terrible prizes, these booby prizes. Uh-huh. And whoever um, draws it out has to open it at the front of the ring. They get filmed. They get pictures taken. The crowd get into it and start like banging their hands on the tables, giving us uh, like a drum roll. And since we've changed it to booby prize from VIP prize, the money has gone up crazy. People will come up and want to buy 20 quid's worth of raffle tickets. That's crazy. They're handing over 20 quid a time. Did I oh, really ever get the booby prize? I bet it's terrible. That's and you're like, yeah, me. man. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just like trying to not like say anything. And... Because no one in that venue knows what it is apart from me. My announcer doesn't know, my girlfriend, the Magic Mark, any of the wrestlers, any of the helpers, any of the staff. Literally no one. I go out, I find something terrible, and that's what we do. So everyone's not in on the joke, but everyone is is in on the joke, if that makes Uh sense. So my announcer doesn't know what it is, so he's there kind of like narrating as the people are opening it. And one of our shows last year... um, Again, this could be one of those things that could only really happen with us. One of my really, really good friends, a guy named Simon, won it. Now, Simon uh, is a bald chap. I don't know if it's through nature. I don't know if it's through choice. Um, But I know that at one point in his past, he had the dreaded C word. Not the the C word corona, the other C word. Uh-huh. Uh, and he lost all his hair through that. And since then, he got cured. He's you know, got rid of it and happy, healthy, and all that sort of stuff. But he kept with the bald head. Now, he won the booby prize. Now, as like the ticket gets drawn out, he starts running down to the ring with his ticket. And, oh, I've won it. I've won it. I realized what it is that's in it. And it's a ducky shower cap, like an inflatable duck shower cap. So I'm uh-huh. at the back of, back of the venue. The crowd's gone quiet because they're all looking, trying to, like, see what it is. They're all like a bunch of meerkats. I'm at the back of the room going, oh, we've given a bald dude a shower cap. Like, <laughs> laughing my head off, like, 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 like a little girl from the back of the room. Like, it's going to be that funny. And it got one of the biggest laughs of the night. That this bald dude just happened to won this shower cap. And it's a ridiculous shower cap anyway. But... People come into the venue, and I've, I've worked with whoever's on the door for the day. Uh, I try and welcome people in. I try and be a bit more, a bit more of a host. I'll show them to the seats if they deserve, so on and so forth. And nearly every single time they go, when's the raffle on sale? That booby prize is mine today. It's insane. That's awesome, it's insane. That's, insane. Yeah. Such a crazy, um, like, little hotbed that you've got there. And, you know, you should be really proud because you've shaped it. And like, um, and, and, and it's, you know, you've built that for yourself. Would you ever, um, would you ever look to kind of, cause I mentioned earlier, obviously about the, the touring kind of family shows, would you ever look to take any kind of shows out of Stoke or would you want to keep it in there? I think I'd want to keep it here. I think one thing we, um, we learned from ICW up in Scotland, cause we worked with them very early doors cause, uh, Kim Rocks uh-huh. and all their talent are really good friends. They've got a very Scottish promotion for Scotland, and even though they will do tours and stuff, they refuse to, they've got a Scottish announcer, Scottish commentators, they name their shows in Scottish slang, and I think that's such a good thing, because then you can only see that product there. Yeah. So with us being in Stoke, 
we, we've um, we'll sort of tailor our show names, our taglines, like uh, the the A up duck shirts. You can only get them in Stoke because no one nowhere else would really understand what that means. But if you want a Stokey product, you go to Stoke. And the way I can kind of I'm going to compare it to if you want say pizza or you want Chinese, you don't go to Weatherspoons. Now Weatherspoons does both of them foods. But if you want a pizza, you go to a pizza place. You want Chinese, you go to a Chinese place. You know what I mean? If you, you go to where that's going to be at its absolute best. So I think if we tour it, we're going to lose a lot in translation. So I'm happy being in Stoke, promoting in Stoke. We sell a lot of tickets before we announce a show, before we announce a poster, before we announce any wrestlers that are on it, because people just want to be at a Pro Wrestling For You show. So I don't think taking it out of Stoke would do us any favours. I totally understand, man. And like going off back, back to what I say with you, obviously wanting to keep it in Stoke, kind of that, those same fans come every single time. When we, when I mentioned about you know earlier on about whether they're actually wrestling fans or just pro wrestling for you fans, do you think that like it's much? Uh, does it make financial sense for you to bring a name wrestler from another part of the country? You know, so like like quite a big name. And put him yeah. on your shows. Will will they know who he is? Um, yes and no. I think someone asked me this a, a good while ago. It might have been Keith Myatt actually, because Keith was uh, obviously Keith, one of the nicest human beings in the world, one of the most generous, living legend. Can't say enough good about him. He was asking me about a certain talent that was over in the UK and asked if uh, I was going to use him. Um, and I think it might have been. Eddie Edwards or Davey Richards. I can't remember for the life. I'm pretty certain it was one of them too. And uh-huh. I just and I just said my crowd wouldn't necessarily know or necessarily give a shit. Now, mm-hmm. if it was what if it was one of the bushwhackers, definitely, because my crowd's quite old school. They like their late eighties, early nineties wrestling, where wrestling was a bit more lighthearted and a bit more fun. So if it was a talent like a Bushwhacker, a Honky Tonk Man, a Jim Duggan, someone like that, then I reckon they would turn out for them. But in terms of putting an, an NXT UK name on, they really wouldn't give all that much of a shit. And that's not the talent's fault, but the fans just don't necessarily... You know, not, not many people in Silverdale have got the WWE Network. So... I still, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And it's good that you as a promoter kind of get that because at the end of the day, everyone has like their own business model. And, and I think for you, it's it's more just, uh, you know, the, the you'll get someone in. Like I know that you book, um, obviously you've had myself before, you've had uh, Visage, uh, kind of really big out there personas. Yeah. Um, so like, is that kind of, if you are going to spend money, is that generally what you want from it? Like people that are really g- going to be big for your crowd? Like they might not know necessarily who they are coming into it, but they're going to remember them when they're gone. Yeah, I think, because um, like the one sort of talent we've had, uh, I think it's three times last year, that would be classed as an import. He does hardly live over here in Leeds, but uh, Sugar Dunkton. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he's on AEW now, which is absolutely fantastic. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> Our crowd, 99% of the crowd, didn't know who he was when he first showed up. They'd not, they'd not heard of him. Even, like, I'd been on a couple of shows with him and I knew a bit about him, but I didn't know all that much about him. I just fell in love with who he was, what he brings to, to the ring, and 
his sort of way of kind of into like some people walk through the curtain and, and expect that they're going to get a reaction and if they don't get it it affects their entire match uh-huh uh, sugar's not one of them guys he totally understands that he's in a new place um it's a little village and they're not going to know him but he's going to take his time and make sure that they understand who he is he'll have a little dance with him have a little bit of a joke with him and he couldn't be more over with my crowd if he tried, they absolutely loved him to bits. Um, now he is an import, he's he's not someone that they would have heard of beforehand, but he's someone that they've just taken on board and just said, Oh, he's one of us, he's one of us. And just magic has kind of happened there, just it's one of them things. I, I can so imagine how well he would have fit in with you as well because I've, I've been in the ring with him and I, I think it was on a rumble and I remember him doing this ridiculous spot where like he ended up, I think he got someone in like a, a just a chin lock or something and he said to the guy in it and he was like, hey, whilst I've got you in the hole, grab the next guy. So that other <laughs> guy grabbed him in a chin lock, grabbed him in a chin lock and it just kept going and going and going. And I remember that... Um, Oh wait, no, sorry, sorry. Someone else was in the was had someone in the chin lock, and then Sugar was like to that guy, "Hey, you grab him." So Sugar wasn't in the the chin lock. Yeah. And then I, I was the last one to get to get chin locked in this long line. It looked like some sort of like human centipede type thing. <laughs> and then Sugar Dunkerton grabs my legs, like Walls of Jericho, Boston Crab style, and he's like, "Turn!" <laughs> and everybody turns, and suddenly he's Boston crabbing everyone in this line <laughs> and like yeah he, that was just so kind of off the cuff and just funny and i can so imagine that kind of thing just being so fun on your shows so i can just see how his charisma would have worked so well for you and best thing is um he was going to be in the main event of our last september show july september show no, july so um it was him it was a guy called uh ryan Ryloid and a guy called ritmo against uh, mark morgan uh, Shikal Sham and Jiwei. Shikal Sham couldn't make it, got replaced by a guy called Duke. And a couple of these names you'll be familiar with, a couple of you might not. But it was a three on three main event. And I'd spoke to Sugar before the show because he's all up for dancing and singing and all this sort of stuff. And I said, Look, before Ryan and Ritmo get here, at the end of the show, I've got an idea. We want to do the two cool dance. So you'll be in the middle like Rikishi. Them two will be Scotty Tawati and Grandmaster Sexy. Now, I don't want to tell them. Um, what we're doing, I want them to be thrown to the lions because I want it to be like an organic reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sugar was very, very much up for this. Like he couldn't have been happier about it if he'd have tried. Um, so uh, we had some glasses kind of stashed on a table, and he was he was so happy at this because he was just kind of he was in on something, and he understood why we were doing it because Ryan and Ritmo needed to kind of come out their shell a little bit especially ryan ryan's the most shy of, of the two and the end of the match sugar didn't let them leave he said no no come stand here come stand here and you could see the look on their face of what's he doing like what is going on here something's planned stick some glasses on them both dj cues the music up and they do the two cool dance right at the end and it was just amazing. Just we one of those moments that you just we couldn't plan it. If it was planned, it looked shit. But because uh-huh. it was completely organic and Sugar was so up for it, and he sold it so well that it was just he understood us from that point. 
we understood what he's all about at that point. And now, if, if at any point he's uh, he's over here, uh, even though Leeds to Stoke, it's a bit of a jaunt. He's going to be on our shows. He'll send us videos. He'll do us anything because he's an honorary Stokearian, as he called it. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, as well as him as well, obviously, like, you know, you've had a wealth of, of talent. Uh, obviously, you've been going since 2011, so that's nearly like 10 years. Have you ever kind of brought someone in that, because obviously we've just spent the last half an hour saying about what your fans want and like your, your, your product. Have you ever brought someone in that didn't quite understand that? Like, you don't need to name names, but like, have there <laughs> ever been like someone who just didn't get it and maybe they went out there and just... It was it was the complete opposite of of what you've just explained to me. Has that ever happened on over the oh, nearly ten hey, years? That, that's that's happened a good few times. I, I won't name names, but I'll kind of describe a couple of people. Now, unfortunately, not a lot of uh, women's wrestling has got over in Stoke for right. what, for whatever reason. Whether the talent weren't quite up to scratch in terms of being big personalities whether they were a bit too green or whatever. I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason, the crowd just kind of seems a bit, oh, okay, women's wrestling, okay. They just didn't get into it for whatever reason. Uh, there's, a, there's one female talent that I've never heard a, a crowd go so quiet. And then that was, you could see that was affecting her, making her nervous, and then that was affecting the match, and that was affecting the audience, which is just like a vicious cycle. And the entire match, about 10 minutes is on mute. The crowd couldn't have given less of a shit if they'd have tried. Um, there's a couple of guys that have been on our show that want to come in. This is going to sound really arsehole-ish, but they want to come in and they want to put wrestling, all the kicks and the slaps on the thighs and all this new age, what I would probably call progress wrestling, fight club uh, uh-huh. pro kind of style of wrestling like lots of kicks and knees and our crowd couldn't care less they don't care if you've done various uh, incarnations of super kicks and flying knees to the face and kicks to the face they don't care it's wrestling it's not MMA and the crowd don't care so occasionally we've had people in that I won't name they'll go oh we're going to put all these millions of moves into this match and the crowd don't care. They go a bit quiet. They get the phone out of their pocket. They go to the bar. They go to the toilets. Whatever it is. And then that talent will come in the back and say, oh, not a very good crowd here tonight. Said, no, no, no. You've just not got a very good ear. That's what it is. Uh-huh. You can't I put 10 pounds like, of um... shit. Like, well... <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. And like, I think that like any 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 independent wrestler or like you know any aspiring wrestler should come and, and work for your promotion at least a few times because like it's going to show that because as a professional you've obviously got to tailor your, your act like you can't just go and just do the same script every time because it's not going to get the same reaction and and wrestling is interactive so i suppose that like in that situation those talent just weren't at that level where you could just you can just read the audience and and change things or like you know, just do some research on, on where you're going. I think that, because um, I do acting as well, like performance, and I always, 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 if I'm going to do a theater show or any kind of, um, you know, play or whatever, whether I'm promoting it or, or acting in it, I always, like, research the kind of um, 
the uh, political, socio-economic background of the play, of the place where it's in, of that kind of thing. And why don't people do that with wrestling, you know? Like, obviously they should know. It's Stoke. Look at what this guy's promoting. Look at the posters. What style is that saying? Like, and that's going to be what you're going to have to do, right? I just don't get why people come and they're so deluded to think, oh, I'm just going to do the same match that I did last week, kill this guy, like it's, and it's going to get over, you know? Well, it's you've kind of hit the nail on the head. If you go to, uh, say, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico is famous for being a very bloodthirsty place in the world. That's what their fans want. Now, you wouldn't go to a different country and not work out what the fans are after. So I get why they wouldn't necessarily do it if they're in England and they, do, they used to do a family show and they go to another part in England and they're after a family show. I get why they wouldn't necessarily do so much research. But if the promoter, and again, I won't name names, but if the promoter has given you access to watch some of the past shows for free and you don't take it, if they've said, look, I've got a space in this car, I can't use you if you're free, jump in, come watch the show, then you'll be able to tell what the crowd are into. And again, you don't take that opportunity and then you don't get over it and then you want to blame the fans. It's like, man, uh-huh. you've been given a lot more chances. Um, then, then a lot of people will have, and you've just gone in there so short-sighted and thought, oh, I'll just do what I always do, it always gets over in X place, Y place, Z place, whatever. But not every crowd's the same. Um, and I think uh, someone, a wrestler with a really good ear is a really rare thing. Like, personally, Ryan Myatt, um has got one of the best ears. Mark Morgan, one of the best ears in professional wrestling, they can hear a crowd, know when to take it down, when to pick them back up, can sense what they want, and then tailor on the fly what they were going to do. It's incredible, isn't it? Like that's that's a worker right there. It's not like you know you're not just going out there and and and, and maybe maybe a little bit of that that kind of art has been lost, but um, but it's I'd just about that. the training, isn't it? Like, but I, I think that the the really good ones. The ones that are like are at the at the top of the indie scene and like and the ones that really are giving it and really you know rising stars like they have that that there. There's just an awful lot of people and um, and not all of them take that opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, so as well, uh, obviously we've gone on about kind of the talent that you use. Uh, one of them, one of the huge standouts, which you've already mentioned, was uh, is obviously that ring veteran Keith Myatt uh, wrestled for the Ring of Honor World Title. He's wrestled the likes of Fit Finley, Rollerball Rocco, Johnny Sane, uh, and now he's a regular for for yourself. What what does that mean to you to have someone like that? Well, I mean, because uh, we could do, literally do an entire podcast on Keith Myatt. He's it, it, just one of those guys now. He's, uh, he's going to be 61 in July. He's been in this business way over half of his lifetime, and he's still doing it, and he's still putting in the graft, which at 61, if you're still bumping and doing corner drop kicks and all this sort of stuff at 61, you've, you've, you must have done something right over the time because uh, he's very generous with his matches. He's very generous with his time. If anyone ever asks him to, to watch their match and give feedback, he'll happily do it. Now, Keith didn't necessarily train me 
but he he is my mentor. He's my he's my friend. I can't say enough good about him. He's never kissed my ass. If I've said something that's offended him, he'll tell me straight off. But if if, if I've come up with something really good, he'll give me that credit as well. He's a very generous veteran, and to have him in the locker room when I need to be out front, running the show, editing the show, switching matches rounds. Sorting out any security issues, trimming match lengths, whatever, whatever. I know I could put him in the locker room and no one would mess around. No one would do anything untowards. He's just, he's someone that you can trust entirely, no matter what the situation is. And I've seen him in situations at other shows, not my show, but I, I will say it. It was backstage at a United Wrestling. It used to be WWA, now they're United Wrestling, of Render Stoke. And it was a four-way match. It was Keith um, two, and three other guys. Now, one of these guys was refusing to listen to Keith laying out the match. The other two were listening to him. Keith, what do you want to do? We'll do whatever you want us to do. And this other one guy had his headphones on. He was doing, he's stretching out. So, yeah, that's cool. Just, uh, just tell me in a little bit. Tell me when we're out there. And he's not a guy that can call it on the fly, especially in a four-way match. You can't really call it out there. You oh, need course. to do some, some bits. If it's just one-on-one, fair enough. But a four-way, definitely not. And I was kind of stood in this small change room and with these four guys. And, and as soon as I heard this guy say, no, it's fine, whatever, headphones on, really disrespectful. Oh, Keith's gonna, he's going to bollock him. And he didn't. He was the most polite, he's most respectful. He kind of just tapped him on his shoulders. Like, no, no, no. Come on in, mate. We want to make this a really good match. Take the headphones off. Come and have a little listen. And I was kind of like shocked. Not shocked that he wouldn't do something nice because I say he's the nicest guy in the world. But he would have been quite within his right to slap this guy around the head and say, don't be disrespectful. Take your fucking headphones off and get in on this match. Don't be selfish. There's other people in this match other than just you. And he Uh didn't. He was so polite. He was so respectful. And that, to this day, stays with me and thinking... If I ever want to lose my rag, what would Keith Meyer do? I mean, that sounds a bit cheesy. No, that sounds a bit cheesy. But he's got the patience of a saint. Do you think that um, with you saying about him kind of being the mentor and, and also the kind of uh, pro wrestling for you locker room leader, do you think that the company would be where it's at now if you weren't, if you didn't have such a close relationship with him? Um, I don't. I honestly don't think we would. He was on our very first show. Back in 2011, he's, he's missed very few shows of mine over the past nine years. Um, he's vouched for me with multiple WWE talents, like the guys from the Spirit Squad, like uh, Gangrel, uh, Jim Duggan, Honky Tonk Man. Like, they've all asked his opinion of where can they work while they're over here. He's given them my name and vouched for me. And they've said... Uh, they've been in contact with me. Now, a couple of those names were meant to be on this year, like one of the Spirit Squads. Obviously, it's not kind of happening because of all the corona stuff. And a couple uh-huh. of the other names, like Jim Duggan, Uncle Talk Man, we haven't managed to line up a date with him. It just didn't happen. But just having him on the roster gives us an air of authenticity that we wouldn't be able to get without him. I, I totally get that. I, I get that. Like, I can imagine from that point of view as well, just, just having him... Uh, you know, to kind of swerve you away from maybe an idea that isn't quite 
what you thought it would be or I can imagine like even though he's not booking it I can imagine like just having him there like you know oh hey Phil why don't you maybe try it like this try it like this I imagine that some of the best moments that you've had booking wise have probably had a little bit of peppering in by him would you say yeah I mean the best thing is so Keith's 61 so he's been in this business about 30 40 years um and he's still learning so i sat in the car with him going to a venue in uh, i can't see it's up north somewhere so i sat in the car for a good two hours we're having a little chin work and it's me i think it's my girlfriend at the time or someone else i can't remember uh keith and ryan so keith will always tell me if he thinks an idea i've pitched doesn't make sense it, it won't work, and he'll happily, happily shoot that down, but give me a reason as to why he thinks it won't work. Now, on this one occasion, um, I was talking to Ryan. Uh, so Ryan sat in the front, and I'm saying to Ryan that he's in a difficult scenario where people will look at him and just say, oh, he's only in this business because he's Keith Myatt's son. He's just a mini Myatt. He's not himself, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of made a point to saying to Ryan, look, mate, this is what people say about you. I know you're, you've got so much more to you. Let me work with you and we'll create something new. Now, Keith being Ryan's dad didn't necessarily take it too well when I was saying it, but I wasn't saying it in a disrespectful way. But when you're that close to someone, it's a kind of can't see the wood for the trees scenario. It's like, oh, Phil's having a go at my kid. I'm not going to go at your kid. I love Keith and Ryan like, to, to bits. But I needed to give him the reality check that a lot of people see him as Mini Myatt, as Keith Myatt Jr., Keith Myatt Light. You know what I mean? Uh And Keith actually said to me uh, backstage at an Unstoppable Wrestling show, he said, you know what? I actually, I've got to apologize to you. And obviously I was a bit taken about like, why have you got to apologize? He said, the stuff you're saying in that car on that journey, I I need to take back my um, objection. Because he was a bit, not... I don't want to say forceful, but he was kind of a bit, he felt I was attacking his son. Uh-huh. And I really wasn't. I was just giving him some harsh truths and then working with Ryan days, weeks, months after that to give him new moves, give him a new outlook, so on and so forth. And Keith just said, thank you for so much for what you've done for Ryan. I totally get what you were meaning now. At that point, I didn't, but now I did. And I know you've got his best interest at heart. Um, I just want to say I'm sorry. It's like, mate, you've nothing to apologise for. You know, it's it kind of took me by surprise, you know, because it's Keith Myers apologising to me. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those moments where, like, he's 61. He's been in this business two-thirds of his life, and he's still learning. And that, for I, me, is amazing, you know. He must have really appreciated how you're you're not just, like, a yes-man as well. Like, you you took the time to, like give that that like you say that that harsh uh, harsh truth there uh and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people in wrestling you know it, it's just like hey that's awesome but then behind your back it's like oh well, blah 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 you know so like him that must have really even strengthened your relationship a little bit because he knows that you've got his back i guess i, I think so i think he knows that obviously keith's not going to wrestle forever i know it kind of feels like he will he is the Aussie Osborne <laughs> of professional wrestling but um He's not going to wrestle forever. He'll, he'll openly admit that. He's, he's kind of doing it to see Ryan in, in properly, and then he'll probably take a back seat and do other things. Um, but, yeah, I think he was just he was a little bit worried. As what uh, anyone would be. I'm sure Charlotte Flair has this with Rick. You know, he's going to be protective no matter what. 
Um, but there's certain things that Keith can't give his son. Even though Keith's a living legend, there'll be certain perspectives that a wrestler won't be able to see. It needs, and I don't call myself the promoter or the booker, I call myself the director of Pro Wrestling Feud because I direct my shows just like a film. You know, uh, Dusty Rhodes is a big advocate of treating wrestling shows like movies, and I very much agree. So I'll say to Ryan, look, you pick this music, it takes 30 seconds to kick in, and the tempo is too fast. Oh, but I really like that song, we really like that song. Yeah, but it takes too long, and it's too happy. So before any of the crowd see you, you they're already singing and dancing to your song. Change it down. This is this is what I'm trying to tell you. And you have to kind of, I don't want to swear too much, but shit on their chips a little bit because uh-huh. they, want, they, they want to get their way. But you've got to say to them, psychology-wise, a third of that crowd have never seen you before because a third of every crowd, it's their first show they've ever been to. And the other, another third have been to a couple. And the third third is diehard fans. So the diehard fans know everything about you. The middle third might know a little bit. The third third haven't got a clue. So you, you are saying to over half of them fans that before they even see you, see any of your actions, before you've got a promo, when the certain song comes on, it's too happy, it's too upbeat, and you're kind of ruining the experience for fans because it's too happy. You, you're leading them down a road that you're not going to go down when you come out. You're going to be a miserable bugger rather than the happy, upbeat bugger like the song suggests. <laughs> and Keith wouldn't necessarily think in those kind of terms because he's thinking as a wrestler what song you need to get you into that mindset. Whereas I'm looking at it from the point of view of a director going, the crowd is sat there waiting, sees who's going to come through the curtain. And if it's a miserable song with a slow beat and you come out all miserable... Oh, what an absolute arsehole he is. Perfect. You've set the scene before you've even shown yourself. And it's things like that that he won't be able to teach Ryan, but I will. And he's Keith's kind of, not going to say give me his blessing because that sounds a bit weird, but he knows I've got Ryan's best interest at heart. So, it, yeah, it's probably strengthened our sort of bond between the three of us. Uh-huh. And that's a really uh, nice story there. I like that. And also there's a lot to take from it as well, because I totally agree with regards to like your entrance theme. I think it's one of the most important things because they, they hear it before they even see you. But it shouldn't be you as a person, what you like. It should be what, what sums up that, that character. So like for me, perfect. Absolutely my, perfect. Like, I, I, like, I like ABBA. You know, but I don't I don't have that as my theme, you know, <laughs> like, um, like the theme that I've got, I think, really symbolizes Reese Ryan and like this kind of egotistical VIP deluded type thing, because it's very kind of celebrity poppy, all like that. And that's why I chose it. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you with regards to like what you're saying about the director kind of moving on from that as well. Uh, obviously, with you being the first promoter on the show. I was really excited to, uh, to kind of ask this question because I think it is the biggest question in pro wrestling. And I don't think that people like lower down on the indies really ask this as much as they should. Uh, but basically, what I want to do now, Phil, is imagine that this isn't the podcast. Imagine that this is Phil Woodbine's uh, masterclass on promoting. Okay, this is what I, I want it to feel like. What I want to know is... Um, Tell me, and it's not just, it doesn't have to be specifically your promotion, because, like, 
obviously you go and travel to other places and you if you were in a different location i fully believe that you could also promote to a completely different fan base at the end of the day you just found what your niche is that doesn't mean that that's all you can do uh, and what i want to know is um tell me your mindset on how to sell because we're a business like i don't mean selling is in like you get punched and you bleed i mean like selling is in how do you get those asses in those seats how do you pr- uh, promote a match and and make it you know like meaningful that they want to see bloody hell there's a, there's a lot to unpack there isn't there um, okay <laughs> well it, it kind of like it takes like so much to put on shows i mean i'm so you've seen me at my shows uh, anyone that's ever worked for me, if anyone listening to this has ever worked for me, you know I'm quite a stress head. I do. I'm the, I'm the first person in every venue that I promote, obviously apart from you know, people that own the venue that open up. I'm the first one in, last one out. I'm setting up seats. I'm setting up tables. I'm setting up lights, microphones, the ring, absolutely everything. And I've been in this business for 13 years. I think that's about right. Uh, yeah, started May 2007, so 13 years. Um, and I think by doing those, I don't want to say lower down jobs, but if you know how the lighting is, the sound is, apps, you know every moving part in, in anything, whether it's wrestling, whether it's fixing a watch, it could be anything. If you know every moving part, you know every variable that can happen, and you can kind of adjust on the fly, you can adjust... Um, days, weeks, months, whatever, prior to that show. Now, you've got to have a really good ear for your product, and this is where eating a bit of humble pie and not telling the audience what they want and not telling the audience, oh, but I like this, so you lot should really like this. I'm just very fortunate that the type of wrestling I like happens to be the type of wrestling for wrestling few fans like, so I'm very, very fortunate with that. But you need a good ear. Just don't watch the moves. Listen to the crowd. Because you'll know if you stand behind the curtain, you stand behind the door, that you are sharpening your ear rather than sharpening your eye to what the crowd is listening for. Because you, you just go and stand in that crowd. Because I don't advertise myself as the owner. Occasionally it happens, because you know, you've got to do bits and pieces. But... I don't go, hey, I'm Phil Woodvine, the owner, filthy, whatever. I'm going to come out to uh, Vince McMahon's music. I don't get myself over on my own shows. I, I used to, don't get me wrong, early doors, I wanted to be on them. But now I want to go into the crowd, not be known, and hear people talking when they think someone isn't there. And that's when you get the most honest, the most organic um, you'll see uh, people leaving the venue at the end of the evening and go, oh, can't believe that guy lost. I want to come back next time to see if he won. Well, see if he wins, see whatever. You go, oh, okay, well, it kind of makes sense for that wrestler to kind of be on a bit of a losing streak and keep on getting closer each time because the people are going to want it more and more and more and more. So for that one particular person, if you overhear a comment like that, you kind of know what you need to do with that character kind of makes sense, doesn't it, you know? Um, you always want to leave them wanting more. I see. I, I went to a, I'm not chucking them under the bus, but I went to a fight, uh, fight Club Pro show, and there was eight matches. They were nearly all half an hour long. Seven of the eight were all strong style, 
nobody selling anything and the crowd were knackered by the end of it no one walked out of that venue saying really can't wait for the next one because they'd wrapped it all up there was nothing leading into the next show there's no stories going into the next show there was no we've had a, a really good time we would have liked a little bit more because you're not leaving and wanting more you know um i think that's something to, to bear in mind um well, when you say about that, like when you say about, you know, um, the kind of the, the card and like how many matches there are and things like that, what is your normal, like if you just had like a stock pro wrestling for you, like card, not as in like the, the wrestlers that are on it, but like in regards to like the matches, like how many matches do you have and, and what do you want from each match? Uh, well, typically, I mean, and this might shock some people. We might only, we might have a show with just five matches on the card. Which doesn't seem all that much when when yeah you look at like a modern day WrestleMania with fifteen matches and you know things like that. Five matches doesn't seem all that much, but it's the other bits and pieces that you put onto those matches and the other segments that will kind of fill it up. Not that it's filler, like you're just trying to make it seem bigger, but mm-hmm. the wrestling isn't necessarily pressing fuse drawing factor. It's the show. It's the characters. It's like we said earlier with the with the raffle. Pe- people treat that like it's a really fun segment of the show. It's not just okay. It's cool. Let's get the raffle done. We see people running uh-huh. from having a, a cigarette. Going, no, no, I've got me tickets. Got me tickets. Got me tickets because they don't want to miss the raffle. And people are taking pictures during the raffle. It's not the wrestling that draws person view. It's it's a lot of the other stuff as well as the wrestling. So kind of putting all that together. Okay, okay, we we, we need. Five matches, um, uh, or if we go like a little bit bigger. So the last show we did, start of March, we had a seven-match card, which is a lot for us. But we've got a character called Perfect Paul James, and he's on like a losing streak. It's kind of like Goldberg, but turned on its head. Uh-huh. And we're finding all manner of ways for him to lose. And he keeps being a big crybaby about it and all this sort of stuff now. He had like two or three matches on that card, but the matches were two minutes long. He'd come out, challenge someone, bit of a funny shenanigan, and he'd end up getting his kind of bum handy to him. He'd get pinned, and it'd be another one. And the crowd would chant, like football crowd style, 5-0, 5-0, or whatever the score <laughs> Now, that, that is a match. It's on the card, but it's a two-minute segment. So I don't necessarily look at the show being... X matches allocated as X amount of segments, just like a director would with a film. That's cool. Uh, so, like, is there a lot of like? Um, would you say that most of the workers that you get on your shows then have got to be quite like proficient with promos? Um, yeah, ideally, there's some. Again, it's it's a Dusty Rhodes comment. I think Paige said it on a, on a podcast that Dusty loves his broken toys. So, if you look at someone. Let's say Ryloid. Ryloid, all the wrestling talent in the world, but he's not got much of a personality. He's a lovely guy. He's one of the nicest guys in the world, but he's not a somebody like you, someone like Visage, uh, Johnny Concrete, a Keith Myatt, a Drill. Drill's probably my best example. Yeah, like an over the top, colorful, vibrant personality. But uh-huh. if people come in and they are, quote-unquote, the wrestler guy, it doesn't necessarily get over. But I love working with these guys. They tell you what, we'll try this out. That's why I kind of chucked him under the bus with Sugar and Ritmo to do the two cool dance. 
because I know Ryan can't dance for shit. Which, which, uh, bear in mind, <laughs> I can't dance either. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say I can dance. But purposefully, if I said to Ryan, Ryan, you're gonna be dancing, he'd back out. He'd do this, that, and the other. But because I needed to shake him up a little bit, I did stuff with him that he couldn't plan for. He couldn't overthink for. It's the Stanley Kubrick way of thinking because he did that with a lot of his films. He didn't always tell the actors what to expect because he wanted that genuine reaction to shake them up a little bit. Same with me. I kind of work that way with people like Ryan Lloyd to shake him up and to get that character to come out. So I like my colourful people like Drill. I say he's my champion. Colourful, vibrant, chucks out pies, sings, dances. He's a one-stop shop. Cannot say enough good stuff about him. But guys like, say, Ryan Lloyd, who are more the wrestler guy in a black singlet, I love getting them on the shows as well so that we can work with them and create something. Because then that's me giving my creative input and I can stand back and say, I've had such a big effect on this person. They've gone from this to this. And uh-huh. that's, that's feeding my ego perhaps a little bit. I guess you also need the straight guy so that the uh, the character guy can really pop. Yeah, it's um, it does kind of work uh, two ways. Sometimes you want... If you look at Laurel and Hardy, it was never, it was always Stan Laurel doing the comedic, funny face. He'd always get in trouble. And there's always Oliver Hardy, the straight guy, that was always like, oh, he's another mess you've kind of got me into. Uh-huh. Sometimes matches, you do want that. You do want that kind of uh, setup. Like our charity show last year, we had um, uh, Boris Kozlov down, obviously, big, colorful vodka drinking Russian and we put him up against a guy called Disciple that's like a bulldog on Valium very miserable, comes out slow tempo, very straight faced very straight laced and that was a really good setup because there's such contrasts uh-huh. and, then, and then sometimes you do want to put two characters against each other it all just depends on what characters and what the scenario is you know, sometimes straight uh, and colourful goes better. Sometimes colourful and colourful goes better. But straight versus straight will never work in Stoke, I guarantee. <laughs> so when you say about, you know, these uh, going back to kind of the um, selling of the tickets, do you have a standout show that made the most money for you? And if so, do, do you know why? Was there a particular bout that you really pushed, like a storyline uh, or something? Not necessarily. It will kind of our Silverdale shows, which is our kind of main show, our sort of home show. The tickets have kind of hovered around 150, and it's kind of gone up to 250 at any one point. Uh-huh. Which for a working men's club, 250 people is bloody good going. No matter oh, what's good, what you do. Um, we'll always get that base level of 150, and then from then on, it's any extras that really makes the difference so matches with wrestling not being the big draw in stoke we could advertise matches and people still want to buy on the day they right, weren't right. out their way to buy online because i say they're not a big um technology place in stoke not all that many people buy online they just just prefer to buy it on the door because i say with stoke's quite old school uh, so there's never been a match that i can think of that people have that has spiked a big surge in ticket buying. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be 
this is gonna again. I, I don't want to sound like I'm doing so much because the talent works so hard, but. I'll come up with an idea. Like, there's lots of companies in Stoke that have got 200, 300, 400, 500 people working for them. Now, you'll know wrestling is kind of quite niche. It's almost in the closet, dare I say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, until you, if people find out you're a wrestling fan, it's kind of treated like, oh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't let on. Like, it's, it's a very, <laughs> very strange business, you know, because people say, oh, it's fake and all this sort of stuff. So we kind of keep it... Close to our chest. We it's see someone out. Pleasure, isn't it? Skilly, yeah, skilly we, pleasure for people. You see someone out in town and they've got a, a wrestling shirt on. And, I, and I've been in a wrestling shirt. I was walking around town wearing my Marty Skrull t shirt. I'm a big Marty Skrull fan. And someone was kind of coming uh, through town, did not know who this guy was, didn't have a show at, at, at the time to promote. I couldn't have given him a leaflet. And he saw me coming and I kind of saw him coming. And we didn't say anything. We just two-sweeted each other and carried on walking. That's <laughs> not. That is really, really not. Because we didn't know each other at all. We just kind of, you've got that recognition. to go, ah, wrestling fan, wrestling fan. It is what it is. So I kind of came up with an idea. Um, I stole it from Gordon Ramsay, of all people. I loved um, Kitchen Nightmares of Gordon Ramsay, the British ones. The American ones are tossed. But the British ones are great because he just speaks sense and you can use his business ideas in any walk of life, whether it's wrestling, whether it's restaurants, whether it's movies, whatever. It doesn't make any, any difference. So one thing he was doing, he'd be going into offices. I think he was, he was working at a curry lounge. He'd loaded up a bunch of tiffin boxes with, uh, with curries ready to go. He'd go into offices. He'd uh, kind of just say, look, I'm here to sell some food. He'd go walk into an office with 200 people and he sold all these tipping boxes full of curry and made five, six, seven hundred quid just by being a little bit cheeky and a little bit daring. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm going to give you a couple little tips and tricks that I've done. I don't necessarily recommend or say everyone should do this, but I will t- be honest enough to tell you some of the stuff that I've done. So some of the supermarkets in the local area, their staff rooms... There's no lock. <laughs> There's no password to get in. It's just a staff room. It's just off to one side. Now, if you give your leaflets to anyone that works there, say, can you put these in the staff room? They won't do. They'll just bin them. Most of the boards, like the community boards in supermarkets, offer charity shows only, so they can't put them up. Now, if you just go walking into that staff room with a smart shirt on and a lanyard of some sort, Nobody questions you. No one questions what you're doing, who you are. Nothing. Zero zilch. <laughs> I have walked. I, I, this, I know it's so bad because I work at a supermarket now, so I'm probably going to get in trouble. But a lot of the supermarkets, you can just walk on in. I say just a smart black shirt. I put like a, a standard, I think it's a New Day lanyard, like a bright blue New Day lanyard around my neck. Um, went walking in, put some of these wrestling leaflets on their tables, said hello to some of the staff so it looked legit, <laughs> and and just walked straight back out. Nobody questioned me, and I've seen these some of these staff members at my shows. That's crazy. Just having some balls. But on the flip side, you can do something slightly better. If you just write, rather than an email, rather than a printed... Uh, letter that you've just changed the name on each time, you spend half an hour just writing very simple letters to any of these big companies in Stoke, like the 
Uh, we've got a place called Allied Bakeries that makes like thousands and thousands of loaves of bread for all over the Midlands, like Hobie's, Kingsmill, all that sort of stuff. With loads of these companies, big warehouses for hundreds of people. Now, if you just write them a letter and just say, look, we are pressing for you, we're family entertainment. Uh, if you could stick one of these posters up in the staff room for us, that really, really help. We've included some little leaflets if you want to hand, hand any of them out. If you want a staff night out, here's my number, here's my email address. Let's sort you out with some tickets. We'll chuck you in some comps and we're good to go. That's awesome. Did that? It, did anyone take you up on that? Yeah, I mean, I, we've, we've very rarely had a show under 180 people, which again, for the time of year, for the area that we work in, because Stoke isn't a big city, and we're a small village on the outskirts of a big city. No one's heard of Silverdale, so the fact that we're getting you know, up to 200 people and up to 250, I think it was 252 last May, um, it's insane. That's, that's, that's crazy, crazy turnouts. And a lot of these people have never been to our shows before. It's just finding new ways of getting into sort of people's eye line and just giving them a new way of looking at wrestling. Because people say, oh, I'm not really a wrestling fan. That's cool. We're not really a wrestling promotion. <laughs> sounds bad because I would love to be a straight-faced guy saying we're, we're hardcore wrestling. This is what we love. But that's not what Stoke wants. So rather than kid yourself, you say, you know what, we have some fun. I'm going to send you a link to some of our stuff. And I've sent him a link to um, one of our guys, Ritmo, does a move called the Silly Salmon. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's very, very silly. It's like a Ralph Wiggum dive. And the crowd, uh -huh. hot for it. They, they're chanting salmon from the start of the show until they get it. Now, I'll quickly show someone that, that video. And go, you know what? It's quite funny. Tell you what, give me a leaflet. Uh -huh. Just find a way to break that guilty pleasure thing down for them. Say, yeah, it's cool. Come enjoy your show on us. And like, like I said to you earlier, my mate Alex, he's not a wrestling fan, but he's a pro wrestling for you fan. It's finding ways like that to just get people to go, you know what? I thought wrestling was something else, but this is actually pretty cool. And we've, I said, like, we'll sell tickets before we even announce the match, before we even announce the poster, because people want to come along and see this concoction that we've put together that they can't get anywhere else. And that's from making sure we keep our regulars happy, making sure to try and convert some of those people that come every other show into our regulars that go every show. And we turn brand spanking new fans into the, that middle group of coming every other show and then move them on up again. I imagine that, like in the in the style that you do as well, um, you, you're pr you probably have to really be quite selective about who you actually book, like wrestling wise, because like the thing is, as much as people like I know some people, and and I think it's awful, but like they'll scoff at that kind of thing. The thing is, I think you've got to have really, really good wrestling psychology to get that kind of thing over. Like you can't just go and just like and just and just do stuff because that that audience needs to really have that strong story element or like that um you know that connection there so would you say that the people that you book have actually got to be quite proficient um yeah i said they've got to have good ears they've got to like we've had i say i won't name names we've had people on that have been on our show maybe once occasionally twice um and 
think that they're, they're going to know what we want and it just doesn't work and they'll blame anyone but themselves, so on and so forth. But the, the people that have got really good ears and know how to, like our crowd doesn't want to take over, like say Full Sail NXT, that you kind of feel sometimes that crowd takes over the, the NXT shows. Uh-huh. Like they're, de- they're demanding we want tables, they're demanding they want this, they don't want that, blah, 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 blah. Now our crowd has an element of that in terms of They'll tell you what they really like and what they don't, but they don't try and take over. And I, I know it sounds cheesy, it sounds cliche, but I love that my fans have found that middle ground where they want to be so invested. They want to meet these people and they want to have banter with them, but they don't want to take over. Mm-hmm. That's such a nice way of doing it. Now, the people that come in know how to work with that because you can, you can turn it for you or against you it can be your best friend or it can be you know, your worst enemy people like drill know how to how to get that crowd on his side he comes out to the theme tune from bottom which is just kind of works rather than music because it's very upbeat it's very high tempo it's very cheeky he kind of dances to it he chucks out pies because drill is one of my creations was worked with for daryl um and I didn't like who he was before he was my version of Drill. He was like a This Is England kind of Doc Martens wearing football hooligan. And I just didn't see him as that. I wanted him as Northern, like Peter Kay and all these uh-huh. And he's never looked back. He's made so much money as New Drill. He opened up his own promotion. So I'm going to take some fucking credit for that. Because fuck it, why not? <laughs> but he's got such a good ear for our crowd. He knows how to pull him in and when to pull him in. More specifically, you can't just keep milking that crowd permanently. That's sometimes you have to let them die to pick them back up again. Uh-huh. And I think the people that we have in know how to work with that crowd, and they're not going to try and milk them for every ounce that they can get out of them. Um, and know when to have a bit of banter with the crowd, when not to, when to know when they've kind of crossed that line a little bit. Um, yeah, so obviously anyone that's been on our roster for a long time kind of knows how to work with that, because if they don't, we just don't have them back. We don't want a quiet crowd. No, I see. And like, um, so going from that, the people that you use, can you give me like really quickly, like a couple of like up and coming people that you think are going to kind of make waves that you that you know of? Like not people that we that we might have heard of. Yeah. So obviously I won't you know, drill and rhymeite, all these kinds of people we've kind of heard of already. Now, there are there's a, a team called Synergy based out of Manchester. Um, they're four guys, and um, they've got two really big guys in that team. Like they're hench beyond beyond a doubt. Um, and usually the, the the bigger guys get, they lose their personality. You can't really think of big people and big personality. They don't go hand in hand. It just doesn't work. If you look at any Gene Snitskys and Heidenreichs, any of them guys, the bigger they get, they lose the personality. Now, there's these two guys that uh, earn synergy, um, and they're fantastic. I think they're literally going to set the, the business on fire whenever, whenever wherever they want to do it. Um, we kind of taken them out of that synergy team, turn them into the super athletes, which is a, a kind of take on the UK gladiators. Um, and when I pitched them that idea, the eyes went massive. Like, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. They're so happy, so hungry, so humble. 
they're, they're, and they're so colourful. And it's crazy how colourful they are and how characterful they are. They could be faces on any given day. They could be heels on, on any given day. And they'll be over no matter what. They're, I can't say enough good uh, about the super athletes. They've just taken it and ran with it. Um, who else can I give you? Who else can I give you? There's a, a, also a, a trio here in Stoke called AWOL. Um, all three guys are absolutely fantastic, but the youngest of the three, I think he's 17 or 18, he wrestles under the name uh, Jack Nudson, and he's so old school, and it's weird to see a 17, 18-year-old talking about world of sports, because he lives it, he loves it. He's got the boots with the tube socks underneath. Like, he's so old school. And I honestly think his, his real name's Tom, boy, he wrestles as uh, Jack Nudson. He's going to literally set the business on fire. He's so talented, and I really hope he never gets an ego because he's literally going to be whatever he wants to be. That's awesome that you that you've got that kind of um, th- those talent there, and you're going to see them like just. I hope you know you've been going for like ten years. You're gonna you're gonna be going for another ten and another ten, and you're just going to see these guys really really take off. Um, so that's really cool to hear from you today. And finally, Phil, just before we wrap up as well, it's been awesome speaking to you. I just want to do some uh, word associations. So I've got, <laughs> let me see, about seven people here. Um, now I'm just going to say their names. You know, you just tell me uh, what you think, any stories, anything like that. Uh, and we'll just go. You ready, man? Go for it, dude. All right. So the first one we've talked a little bit about, uh, Keith Myatt. Uh, the, the, the best, the absolute best. We've got Big Guns Joe. I, I love Joe so much. I, I, he's a guy that doesn't take himself overly seriously. And I absolutely love it. The, the gimmick's a bit nostalgic. He's got like a nostalgic almost 80s vibe to it. I, I can't say enough good things about Joe. He's what literally just such a, a talented dude. He's so kind as well, isn't he? And he's just yeah, got such a genu- drive. Genuinely really nice guy. Then we've got Matthew Brooks. <laughs> See, because I love my old school wrestling, my late 80s wrestling. So he's got bits of Ultimate Warrior, bits of Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric and Hulk Hogan all mixed in with him. <sighs> Amazing. Like, I mean, that voice. I mean, he's chiseled beyond belief. He's got that voice. Um, I'd quite like to see him as a heel, I think. It'd be nice for him to change it up a little bit um, and to start insulting people through song. I think that could be really interesting, but uh-huh. genuinely one of the nicest, most chilled out guys in the world. Then we've got uh, Kev Lloyd, Sexy Kev. <laughs> so I love Kev so much. I mean, he's, he's probably a really great example because obviously he does a lot of mat wrestling, a lot of shoot wrestling. And when he came to us, he was Sexy Kev. He comes out here dressed as a cop. He'd strip off. Our crowd would chant uh, average Kev at him. And then when he, when he became a face, they kept that average Kev chant. It was like a tomb of, uh, tomb of endearment. Um, he started going a bit straight-laced with the shoot wrestling, and that didn't necessarily wash with our crowd. So I think now he's kind of uh, he's found a good way to balance between the two. Uh, just one of the nicest guys you could ever ask for. And little sidebar. Our very, very first show at Kill Uni 2011, he was in the crowd. Now, I wouldn't have known who he was at that point. He was still very new to the business then. I don't know if he'd started training yet at that point. So you'd probably have to ask him. 
but he got kicked out of a student's union for being too drunk at our show. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Like, he told me that. Like, it was only a couple of years ago he told me, and I just thought, what state has the security seen in a student's union? Like, that Kev warranted getting kicked out? <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It's funny how things all come around like that. That's a nice little, um, that's a really nice little uh, foot, footnote there. Uh, the next one we have, Phil, is Marty Jones. See, I, I don't know Marty all that well, I've got to be honest. I met him twice, I think. Um, perfectly nice to me. I mean, every other comment he did talk about getting booked on my show. Um, I said, I've got a story. I'm, I'm half and half on whether to tell it or not. Because I don't want it to sound like I'm knocking him. I'm not knocking him. But I have to bear in mind what my crowd would want. Do, do I tell it? You can tell it, man. If it's too oh, much, I'll put it out. Well, it, it, it's out there. It's on a show somewhere anyway. So it is what it is. And so I say, I'm not saying anything bad about Marty. I'm just giving a story and an, an anecdote. He's always been perfectly, perfectly nice to me. So he was at a show up north, I think it was. Uh, I don't know what the promotion was. And he was something like general manager for the day, something like that. Like uh, they're giving him awards and he's general manager for the day, something like that. And I don't quite know the setup, but Big T was a heel in this promotion. And Big T's doing some heelish shenanigans in, in the ring, you know, cheating and all this sort of stuff. He gets the, he gets the win in, by, you know, uh, by cheating. Marty comes out, cuts a promo on him and says to Big T, he's going to send him back to where he came from. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! Well, like, like, I, I, I get it, but I wouldn't want that on one of my shows. No, of course, because um, it could be taken very, very wrongly. So, and I'm like, T is the nicest guy in the world, and I, like, I don't know the connotations of what Marty meant, but there was enough of a crowd silence at that point to go, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I get that. I guess it's just um. You know, you don't know like the situation. Perhaps that was just like a, 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 a you know, a one-off thing. And I'm sure that there was probably apologies backstage and, you know, all that. Um, but no, I totally can see uh, kind of why you, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving briskly on, uh, Dean Allmark. Ah, oh, my God. I love Dean so much. Like, I think... Dean's kind of like the missing link in the in the Stoke setup of uh, professional wrestling because you've got I don't want to say my generation because there really isn't that many years difference between me and Dean. You know, if that happened, there might be one or two years difference between us. But he's just been doing this a lot longer. But because he's he's a family guy, he's he's married with kids. He wrestles pretty much every day, sometimes two, three times a day. I'm a weekend warrior, so I kind of look at myself like the next generation down from Dean. You know. But the nicest guy in the world, he's got the absolute balance of being a really good wrestler but not letting the wrestling overtake the personality. Because he's not necessarily got a gimmick. He's not a late 80s, early 90s. He's not a, a clown. He's not an ice hockey player. He's not a bin man. You know, he's nothing like that. But he's got such a natural, cheeky kind of charm about him that it just works with every crowd. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the nicest guys ever. He, I put Stokey Wrestling on the map along with Keith Myatt and everyone else. 
just I can't say enough good about him. I just wish he lived in Stoke rather than Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just the last one, uh, it's Rampage Brown. See, this is one guy I've, I've had very, very little to, to kind of deal with. I met him three or four times. And to look at him, he looks like the wrestler. You know what I mean? If you were to draw a wrestler, uh-huh. Rampage Brown would kind of be it. He's a huge dude, muscled. He's, he's just what a wrestler would look like if you asked someone to draw one. But he's the nicest, most politest guy in the world. And it, it kind of throws you off your game a little bit. I, I always think the best heels in this business are the nicest guys behind the scene and vice versa. Uh-huh. And he's such a good heel. And, and I think because he's such a nice guy, that's kind of that plays well into that because he's so polite. I went up, shook his hand. Hi, mate. Nice to meet you, Molly. Really polite, really well spoken. Just an absolute, just an absolute gentleman. That's the best. I way think I can... his work as well. I, I think he is like without doubt one of the best uh, like overall workers in the UK like today. I just think yeah. like he he everything that we've said today about. Um, about kind of you know how you can work a crowd and, and listen and find out what they want and things like if if anyone could personify that the most i think it would be rampage yeah i mean you've, you've hit the nail on the head on that one and uh so that is all the names uh we've got have got through everything that we we got to go through phil uh honestly it's been absolutely incredible having you on uh just as well because obviously this will be shared on social media it'll be on spotify apple podcasts Quite a lot of your pro wrestling for you fans will be listening, uh, as well as uh, kind of workers up and down the country and any other fans that maybe might not have heard of your product. Um, for anyone who, first of all, hasn't seen pro wrestling for you, what would you say for them to check it out? Um, well, we've um, obviously, due to the corona stuff, we've been trying to get some of our full shows onto our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash pro wrestling for you. Um, so that people can be, I'm going to pay to watch our shows. I don't think charging people money at this kind of common point in time, it doesn't kind of sit well with me. So we've been uploading our full shows onto the YouTube channel and we've got a show called Method to Our Madness, which has got one of the best main events. It was that three on three main event I talked about earlier with the two cool dance, uh, all included. That's all for free, all, uh, HD all on our social media channels um so yeah it's all up on there give, give us a little check us out uh some really good fun we kind of we take the fun seriously we don't take ourselves too seriously serious if that kind of makes sense <laughs> that's an uh, awesome tagline <laughs> that's, it's, it's not bad i'm gonna stick that on a shirt before someone else does but yeah let you all of our social media channels are at pro wrestling for you we're based just outside of stoke-on-trent just give us a little follow, give us a little cheeky like and all that usual stuff. And just enjoy what we put out because we literally named the promotion pressing for you because it's about, us, it's about us all, not just the fans. It's about the talent. I never say to a talent, do you want to come work for me? I say, do you want to come work with me? And I've always phrased it that way. That's just how I've always looked at it is come help me make something that you're going to enjoy and the fans are going to enjoy. And finally, what would you say to the listeners who are existing fans of yours that are sat at home waiting for the next Pro Wrestling For You show? What would you like to say to them before we go off? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry it's taken so long. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Like, I'm not one of those guys that would ever like run a, um, a, a no audience show. Like, wrestling's about interaction with fans, so I don't see wrestling with no audience. I don't personally enjoy it. Um, but the, the second this is this is all lifted and we're all happy and healthy, obviously we've got to make sure that everything's adhered to health and safety wise. Um, I know some of the promotions in Stoke they're gonna they're gonna be fine with this because it'll be a thirty person. Uh, maximum, so a lot of promotions, you're going to be fine. Unfortunately for us, we get quite a lot more than 30, so we're going to struggle a little bit. I love that little bit of shade there. <laughs> <laughs> Took some shit on them. No, but honestly, frankly, any, person, any person for you fans, thank you so much. We literally do this for you. We put everything into this. If you see me, if you've smelt me on show day, you know I'm stressing and sweating, and it's all for you. Thank you so much, Phil. You've been such an incredible guest. Uh, this is going to be such an awesome addition to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on it. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully uh, working down on one of your shows. Oh, yeah, mate. Thank you so much for letting me be on this. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure, dude. Right. Catch you later. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my incredibly fun, really poignant interview with Phil Woodvine, promoter for Pro Wrestling for You, independent pro wrestling company in the north of England. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of the uh, VIP Lounge podcast with me, your host, Reese Ryan. It's been an absolute ball. I hope you I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed uh, speaking to Phil today. Thank you all so much for your consistent support. It really it has been a really humble experience during this whole isolation. Like, thank you to everybody who has been on my website, uh, gave me some feedback on there. So as I say, it's reeseryanbrand.com. You get to see free match footage during this uh, isolation time. Uh, it's got news, updates, everything like that. It's also got my merchandise store. So thank you so much to anyone who has gone and bought some merchandise on there for me. It's a great help financially uh, during this time. Uh, so there's some really dope designs. I keep bringing some new stuff out with my team. So uh, keep checking those out. Once again, my social medias as well. They're at Reese Ryan Brand. That's on everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, so hit me up on there. Maybe with some more ideas for what you want from this podcast. So thank you all so much. Stay safe. We'll all be out of this very soon. And I'll see you on episode five. Peace.